Welcome to the Africa Green Collar Project. I am your host, Churchill Omondi Agutu. On our last podcast, we spoke about precision agriculture and how it can be used as a tool to build climate resilience. You can listen to it if you're interested to learn about what we discussed. One aspect of the topic that we explored during the podcast was how precision agriculture technology is still not accessible to small-scale farmers in sub-Saharan Africa, specifically because of its high costs. On this podcast, we want to look at how, from a technological perspective, we can enable small-scale farmers to gain access to this technology. We want to ask ourselves how we can make it a reality, what's some of the technology that's available out there. And to join us to um, begin this exciting conversation, we're joined by Brendan Moroso, who is speaking to us from Seattle, Washington in the United States. Welcome, Brendan. Uh, Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Churchill. Awesome. So to start off, Brenda, tell us about yourself. Uh, Sure. So, I mean, I call myself an international technologist, which sounds really fancy, but basically that just means that uh, I work around the world um, with new emerging technologies to try and make them more accessible and more beneficial to more people. Um, And so the basis of this work really has been sort of the explosion of um, bandwidth and computers around the world and that access to the internet and the information that comes with that. Great. And is it specifically in the context of agriculture or does it sort of span like the whole um, space? No, absolutely. It spans a bunch of different places. Um, You know, 10 years ago, I was sort of uh, working with uh, business tools in a village in Morocco, sort of sharing access to how email and internet and things like that worked um, for companies. Um, But more recently, I've sort of worked in agriculture, uh, a little bit in um, health technology as well. So it's really all sorts of sectors. Great. So you've, you'd be the best person to actually answer a lot of the questions I'm asking today. Um, maybe to start off, tell us a bit about when we talk about a global sort of um, space, when we look at small scale farmers, are they actually gaining access to some of these technologies? What are some of the trends that you've observed in the context of developing countries? Absolutely. Um, and I sort of would draw a distinction here. You know, as we heard on the last podcast, um, you know, precision agriculture has really been focused on the commercial agriculture space, um, you know, and, and that's largely because uh, of the costs involved. You know, ge- uh, geospatial satellites, embedded sensors in the soils, um, really expensive, you know, million-dollar tractors loaded with cameras that can identify weeds and crop diseases and things like that, which are designed to allow one person to um, farm a much larger uh, plot of land, um, and that cost is what sort of keeps those um, those specialized tools out of the hands of smallholder farmers. Um, and when we say smallholder farmer, we mean people who are generally working um, uh, amount of space that's less than two hectares. Um, however, there is a degree to which precision agriculture tools have been adapted um, to sort of commonplace uh, things that people already have access to um, that is starting to allow them to, to take advantage of some of those tactics and some of those strategies that are used in commercial farming on much more small-scale farming. Um, and this, this area is sometimes called digital agriculture. Digital agriculture. Okay. So yeah. by, by these um, accessible technologies, what examples can you give us? Is it like mobile phones? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for example, you know, at, the, at that, um, that commercial level, you'll, you'll have a, a, literally a multi-million dollar tractor that may have you know six to twelve cameras on it that can identify a weed um, and you know spray pesticides on it or identify a plant that's got a disease and add the right kind of fertilizer. Um, now at the small scale farming level, uh, you know if there's a person who's working on the field you know by hand, they can sort of see all those things 
but if they don't necessarily have access to to know what specific disease is infecting the plant, um, they might not know what to do. And so uh, with the sort of explosion of both um, cell phones, but more importantly, smartphones, um, those, those come loaded with cameras. And so we're seeing um, lots of apps now in sort of this space that allow a person to take a photo of a plant and um, send that up to, to get a diagnosis on what is uh, affecting that plant. So, um, you know, for example, in cassava, um, you know, you can take a snapshot and send it to the cloud and, you know, it'll run it against a, a machine learning database of uh, different cassava leaves to come up with a diagnosis for that plant's um, infection. Okay, and is this actually being used in developing countries as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so India is a common place where sort of this technology is kind of starting to take off. And um, have be, uh, based on like your own um, research or your own um, understanding, has this technology actually enabled improved yields? Uh, are communities taking well to this technology? What have you observed in that space? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I would absolutely uh, defer to Dr. Kasim on that. Uh, just because I think she has a little bit more experience um, with some of the countries that we're talking about. Um, so I know that they're being used, but I don't actually know the degree, um, you know, whether 9 million different people using this makes a huge impact overall in terms of uh, the market and what's being produced. Okay. And um, is this technology actually affordable? Is it, is it, is it, is it, is it all that, like, do you, all do you need is an app with a camera? Do you actually need a specific type of camera? Is there, like, are there particular specifications in terms of this technology or it's just um, any sort of phone works? Um, no, absolutely. In terms of... Uh, you know, phones, you, you do need a smartphone with a camera for some of the kind of apps that we're describing right now to work. Um, and there are sort of, excuse me, um, even even more, um, there are some other certain kinds of uh, infections um, like rust, uh, wheat rust, crop rust, that you actually need a very high quality camera to be able to sort of diagnose. Um, and some of these things are available, but but more, more importantly than the access to the sort of specific device that we're talking about, um, access to the bandwidth to be able to share uh, that data um, is, is one of the limiting factors. And so frequently what, what you see is rather than one person who owns a smartphone using it in their field, um, you see one person who owns a smartphone using it in the fields of many farmers and then potentially charging for that service. Oh, okay. So people are actually making businesses out of this um, technology as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And um, I also wanted to ask about the vitality of the technology. Is Do you actually think that this technology is vital for small-scale farmers? Do they actually need better visibility and predictability based relative to what they had before? Um, so I think that it's important to, to sort of talk about this in terms of um, driving you know, positive decision-making. So, so this is a tool that you can use. It's not necessarily an answer. Um, and so it's important to have a framework that you're already sort of comparing things to, if that, if that answers your question. Yeah. And one of the things that I've noticed in what you talked about now was a lot, a lot of the technology is being used specifically for de detection of diseases. Is it actually used in the context of precision agriculture? Or is um, when we look at um, this disease detection, is all that also considered an aspect of precision agriculture? Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, so the, the oh, so it's particularly so when we talk about um, precision agriculture, based on our previous podcast, it seemed like we needed to be able to monitor the temperature, we needed to be able to monitor the humidity. Does this technology infer from those factors? How does it work? Um, sure. So you know that is um, more part of the overall farm ecosystem. Those 
humidity sensors, temperature sensors, um, that's all built in. This is, uh, an, I guess you'd say, an additional um, sensor, an additional data collector um, in the field, both in precision agriculture, um, commonly, but also we're starting to see that in more small-scale farming ventures. Okay, and um, one of the things that the, the research that is being carried out with the universities in collaboration is this idea of the Internet of Things. Is that yeah. also a part of this um, technology? Is it something that's separate? What is the Internet of Things and how does it fit in the context of um, this precision agriculture technology? Yeah, sure. I mean, frequently when we talk about the Internet of Things, we're talking about um, lots of devices, sensors, monitors, you know, whatever, that are able to connect to the internet, um, whether it's you know uh, here in the United States, uh, a doorbell that when you you know press it and ring it, you know it pops up on somebody's smartphone, um, showing who's at the door. That's a an example of the Internet of Things, where that doorbell communicates with the internet, which communicates back down to somebody's phone um, and gives them that visualization. Um, in the term in terms of farming, um, what we're frequently talking about is um, embedded sensors in the soil, moisture, um, you know, thermometers uh, that, that can give you sort of temperature. Um, frequently, we're also talking about, and I know that Dr. Kassim mentioned this previously, um, you know, geospatial data uh, that, you know, information coming from satellites. All of these things which are connected to a larger internet, which gives a lot more drivers of decision making, um, various data points that you can look at and think about when you're trying to choose what action to take. Okay, and um, now, because now, well, now you talk about um, connections and linking to a particular, say, center where you can send and receive information. So, does it mean then that when we look at this precision agriculture, it's not like an individual, say, entity? It's almost like it needs to form part of a network. And is it particularly networks within the country? Is it a network that's global? How does that work? Sure. I mean that that's a great question, <laughs> um, and it can be complicated in terms of. Precision agriculture, frequently it can be proprietary. This kind of biz businesses that, that make money off of having this kind of technology um, and sort of selling access um, and selling services. Um, on the flip side, uh, in, in sort of in, in developing um, regions, we often see this as a nonprofit, um, sort of organizations that are, are doing research, that are interested in um, improving uh, livelihoods for small farmers. Um, providing these services for free. Okay, so the, the, does it mean that in developing countries, people are still not able to make a business out of it? And also, is the because when you spoke about the technology, it seemed like it was just an app on a phone. And if I think about it, it seems like it's something it's something that it's very almost easy to get people to um, to learn how to use. But is the when you, when you talk about the technology, does complexity does the complexity also play a role in terms of that particular um, technology or that particular app? And is that in a way influencing, um, say, these business models, or is it more just a matter of the technology has not penetrated and so people are still not taking it in? Yeah, sure. And it's important to to understand that you know, the sort of uh, diagnosing diseases is just one common example. But there's a a lot of different um, technologies playing a role in this space. Um, you know, for example, we were talking about price point being an issue in terms of getting some of these precision um, agriculture technologies into, you know, larger use. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with Uber, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, what about Uber for tractors so that people can then, you know, use a, a sharing economy methods and you don't have to own your own tractor, but, you know, you can 
call an order tractor and use it just for a short time period. That's another sort of example of that connected network of, of smartphones and um, bandwidth that allows people to uh, use some of sort of these similar technologies. Um, I guess you'd almost call them, you know, sort of technology empowered approaches um, towards farming. Um, the, another classic one um, that you know, we talk about a lot is, is literally just sending text messages. If you're trying to decide when the best time to harvest is, price is a huge factor. You want to know what your crops will get at market, what value they'll get. How are you going to get that if you're not in, you know, in town that day? You can use text messages with somebody that you know to sort of get a sense and, and sort of do something that bargaining and trying to decide when you want to harvest. That's one uh, data stream. That's one sort of consideration in your um, you know, harvesting decision. Weather might be another one. Um, but it, it allows you to make a more robust decision process on when you want to start take action. Okay, but does it mean also, is, is the technology also young? Because uh, like you said, like, um, it, again, when you look at developing, when you said in developing regions, it's still looked at as a non-profit. So is it that, is the te- technology still so like relatively expensive that it's still not at the point where you can, like people can easily access it. And so there's just, there's almost a drive to provide that technology now, or is it already pretty advanced in terms of, um, say, access to it, in terms of affordability? Can small-scale farmers actually afford this technology? If not, how soon do you um, predict or do you think that it could happen? Sure. I mean, I think that there are a number of, of limiting factors. Um, you know, one, one is knowledge, um, awareness of these these services, these applications. Um, I think that's that's very much a limiting factor, um, depending on what region we're talking about. Another one is bandwidth. All of these c- take some degree of, of connectivity. Um, and, and you know, while there are um, mobile antennas all over the world, and in fact, you know, frequently when I travel in Africa, I have better access to data um, than I do here in the United States, um, it's not ubiquitous, and so that's also a limiting factor. Um, and and I do I do think that to to some degree we're still very much in the early stages of these. You know, Internet of Things as sort of a field of study is not more than you know five ten years old, and the business models to support that in the United States and in sort of um, European and, and sort of northern hemisphere economies is new, and it's just starting to take off. Um, and the translation of that to more developing, um, less robust economies is is a couple steps behind. Okay. But in terms of just now, from a futuristic perspective, where do you actually see this kind of technology going? What are some of the what are some of the things that it could actually revolutionize, say on a large scale? What are some of the impacts that you see that this technology could have or the growth of this technology? Um, so that's a really good question. I, I think that this technology um, will will certainly have the largest impact on, uh, on not necessarily individual farmers in their lives, but on market behavior um, as more and more people are, uh, let's say, for example, um, using a smartphone app um, or a text message service to get information on when to plant um, based on the weather. So that might change when crops uh, go into the ground, when they come out, when they hit market, the prices that are charging, rather than having a large impact on sort of every individual's life, it'll have a, a much more you know a collective impact on market prices and sort of things like that. Also, in term, when we talk about visibility and predictability, it's not even necessarily in terms of the crop itself. I mean, that's one aspect of it, but there's other externalities, say like the price of the product and things like that around it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so uh, sort of an interesting statistic is uh, when farmers generally choose to plant is very, um, you know, traditionally based, right? So the two largest decision-making points in that tend to be um, when their neighbors are planting. So, you know, you're, we're a society, you look to the person left, you look person right, see what they're doing, and then perhaps copy that. Um, another one is when last year did you choose to start planting? Um, and those are very good um, factors in terms of making a decision. But, you know, sort of with climate change and other things like that, um, it's beneficial to have more uh, date decision points uh, incorporated in that process. So, for example, you know, text messages that tell you, oh, you know, it's going to rain in a week um, based on satellite data, you know, consider that when you decide when to plant. Okay. Thank you so much for that insight, Brendan. I hope that our listeners have learned something new. Thank you so much for giving us all that knowledge and insight into um, insight into the technology, how technology is enabling, can enable small-scale farmers to increase their yields, to get more predictability, and to get more visibility. One of the questions that we always ask in our podcast as well is since we're trying to get um, more youth involved and to try to give youth more insight into this space, you said that you are an inter- you're an international technologist. Is it, did I get that right? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yes. What do you? What have you? From your personal experience, what have you seen to be some of the biggest gaps in terms of the work that you've been working on? It can be from a technological perspective, from a management perspective. What are some of these gaps, and what have you seen can be a great opportunity for anyone considering um, coming into this space? Yeah. So I think um, you know, sort of, there's there's two big factors. One of which I touched upon that's uh, impacting sort of small scale farming in developing regions. Um, you know, which is climate change, um, which is sort of changing how and when and, and uh, you know, what is what you can do as a farmer. And the other one is, is demographics, um, you know, which is that um, farmers across the planet tend to be um, older than sort of the societal uh, middle age. And so that's having a sort of a, an effect. And I think one of the interesting things that we're sort of starting to see and talk about is that as farming becomes a more uh, digitally empowered activity, um, you know, perhaps as uh, farms um, maybe start to, to grow in size, commercialization becomes more common. Um, there are more opportunities to use digital tools, uh, which generally, based on my personal experience alone, um, youth tend to be much more connected with the latest digital technologies. Um, and historically, you know, farming has not been a, a tech forward sector. Um, but, you know, we're starting to see some of that change. And, you know, you, we say like in 10 years, you know, more important than the plow or the hoe is going to be the cell phone on the farm. Um, that's that's kind of a colloquial story that I think draws youth back into sort of this sector. Great. So um, looking at digital tools and how they can be used, uh, the, especially in the, with this issue of demographics and the fact that there are a lot more younger people who have access to this technology and also the small scale farming and it's small scale farming and the devastating impacts that are being brought about by climate change. Thank you so much, Brendan. This was a great podcast for our listeners. You can check out our website. It's greencollarafrica.org. Our Facebook is the Africa Green Collar Project. Our Instagram is Green Collar Africa. And our Twitter is Green Sea Africa. Have a great evening, Brendan. Thank you so much, Churchill. Great to talk to you.